This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. It's Mike Agarbo here. We've got Christina Stoyanova and Graham Williams. So many apps to talk about today. If you've got a smartphone, a tablet, a smart TV, this is the show you need to be listening to every week because we're going to tell you what's hot, what's not, uh, what you need to have on your phone or your tablet to, to have a better life because they control everything about us now, right? That's really it. We're just kind of paving the way for Skynet, I think. Uh, it's kind of a cool show. Of course, we've got our Hot 5 uh, app countdown as always. This week, it's the Hot 5 spring cleaning apps. It's spring. I can feel it. Here in Vancouver, I can feel it. There's something in the air tonight. Yes, it's not uh, snowing anymore. It's actually vaguely warm. So I'm thinking I got to get uh, get into the spring cleaning mode. Uh, we will also be tackling uh, that uh, that whole Facebook uh, story as well. They're trying to go after the anti-vaxxers out there, uh, the misinformation. So we'll uh, be telling you how that's going to happen. Good, good, and uh, an awesome story. I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, but Ontario. The province of Ontario, uh, it's rumored uh, that they want to ban cell phone use in the new school year in in schools. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of Doug Ford, but even a broken clock is right twice a day, and I think he might be right on this one. Well, uh, we'll be talking with Shruti Shikhar from MobileSyrup.com. Uh, I always love her thoughts and opinions on these things, uh, and she lives in Ontario, so we'll uh, get the lowdown from her on that. Let's start with some of the uh, the app news uh, happening uh, out there right now. Uh, we all unlock our phones. Most of these phones now are done by fingerprint mm-hmm. scanners. Well, a whole new generation of phones here now are uh, building the fingerprint scanner into the actual screen, which is kind of cool. Huawei did it with the Mate 20 Pro. Samsung has done it now with their Galaxy S10 uh, models. And experts are saying that fingerprint readers are getting worse because of it, because they're just not as accurate anymore. What do you think, Christina? Well, I think this is a little gimmicky for me. Really? You don't like them in the screen? It, no. Why Why do we need this? So that you can have a bigger screen or so you don't have to have that on the back Great. of the phone. And so that my fingerprint scanner can work sometimes. It already doesn't like it when my hand's too warm or too moist or whatever. Well, yours, your home button doesn't even work anymore. I know you have an my, iPhone 6. But my fingerprint scanner still works. Oh, does it? Well... 98% of the time. <laughs> okay. So so I've got an iPhone 10, right, which has got a face scanner in it. Now, it's not flawless. On sunny days, I find that it's not as effective as it can be. Now, there are times where it will just flat out fail. If I'm in direct sun, it won't work. So Has it been sleep line tested? No, I don't think it has. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I want you to sleep on a really creased up pillow tomorrow and let us know. <laughs> Can I tell you? It doesn't work. <laughs> so so here, here's the thing. Um, you know, these fingerprint scanners, we were talking, Apple was talking about possibly putting one into their screen. And then when the iPhone X came out, ta-da, we're not doing that. We're doing Face ID. Um, and a lot of the reasons that we're hearing from behind the scenes was that they couldn't get this technology to work reliably. I have to say with the Apple's uh, fingerprint scanner and their, yes. their latest phones, it's really good. Yes. Like the ones that actually still have the physical one yeah, compared the a, the to a, a lot of the other Android phones. Yeah. yeah. But I could, because I think they actually bought the company 
that had the best fingerprint scanner out there. They did, yeah. And so, so this is the thing. Like, when they brought Face ID out, you know, the, the news in the tech world was that they were three years ahead of their competition. Yeah. And they kind of continued to be, because I guess everyone was going, well, you know what, we'll do the in-screen fingerprint scanner. Uh, literally just this past week, Apple has been granted a patent uh, for machine learning and sub-epidermal identification for Face ID. So now uh, it's actually twin-proof. It was before that, you know, if you had identical twins, identical triplets, they would be able to unlock each other's phones. Apparently now, uh, your iPhone 10, 10s, and 10R are all twin-proof. So on one side, broken twin, twin fingerprint proof. scanners, on the other one, twin your proof. twin can no longer unlock your phone. Yeah, this is kind of weird. Hmm. So this was interesting. Uh, the U.S. is telling Germany to stop using Huawei equipment or lose intelligence access. And so literally right after this, Germany went from being fairly bullish on Huawei to saying, we think they might be a security risk now. <laughs> yeah, because the U.S. is bullying them now. Yeah, it's, it's not that Huawei might be a security risk, or maybe they are, but I think the security risk here is that Germany is looking at all of that U.S. intelligence that they no longer have access to and thinking, that would probably be a problem for us. The plot I, thickens here. I just wonder, you know, there's still uh, the U.S. is still working out the trade deal with China. Mm-hmm. I, I just wonder out loud, if, if they work it out, do you think all this Huawei stuff goes away? Yes. So it's a negotiating tactic? It is a negotiating tactic, but I would look at it this way. Right now, Huawei is tied into the Chinese government. It's part of policy and law over there. The Chinese government can request access from Huawei, and Huawei has to provide it. Um, You know, I've said this before. Smart thing for them to do would be to have divisions around the world that deal directly with those countries and open source a ton of your software, guys. Let people take a look at the code behind the things that you're working on. Isn't that bad then because hackers can do that too? No, open source is actually better for hackers. Closed source is good for hackers because what ends up happening with open source is you audit code. And when mistakes are found, mistakes are they're fixed quickly. With closed source, mistakes can go on for years and hackers can have access to that and you'd never know because they've got access to it and they're covering their tracks. So, you know, to Huawei, guys, you've got an opportunity in the market here. Do the right thing. Open source your stuff. Let people have trust in you. Well, it'll be interesting to see how the, the trade deal goes down, if that does affect the, uh, the Huawei relationship with the, uh, the U.S. Currently, uh, you can't really get a phone in the U.S., a Huawei phone. Although, even though because of that, Huawei's still uh, in the top two smartphone makers in the world. Starting to show that the American market is not the be-all and end-all, no. which is actually good for all of us, really. I, well, it is, actually. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see how it all goes down. Uh, on top of that, um, you know, all of this brouhaha around this, uh, you know, I've talked to some of the Huawei guys and said, they've told me, it's been good, because now everyone knows who Huawei is. <laughs> like, you know, a year ago, if you asked a lot of people who Huawei was, they wouldn't know. Yeah. But now because of all this going on, uh, a lot of people know what Huawei is all about. They don't just know who Huawei is. They know how to pronounce it. And and they're buying a lot of phones uh, yeah. as well. We've got a cool show uh, for you this week. Uh, we'll be talking about the potential cell phone ban in schools in Ontario and uh, also what Facebook is doing to uh, go after the uh, misinformation that a lot of anti-vaxxers are posting up on uh, the Facebook news feed. And, of course, our, our Hot 5 this week, it's Hot 5 Spring Cleaning Apps. You know you got to get going. We'll give you the best apps to help you out. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back after this. Well, it was announced this week that the province of Ontario in Canada was uh, looking to ban cell phone use during educational time 
at schools in the coming new year. Is that going to work? How do people feel about it? Well, we've uh, got our uh, tech expert, Shruti Shikar from MobileSyrup.com on the line to get her thoughts. Shruti, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. I need to let you in on a secret. I, uh, Which, well, oh, oh, dear. I, What's the secret? I am much older than you think. I'm actually 50 years old. And uh, okay. we didn't have these fancy computers and smartphones uh, when I was uh, going to school. So when I heard this, I just thought, good, they shouldn't have smartphones in the classroom. Uh, but what, yeah. what are your thoughts on this? You know, you've obviously grown up in this world uh, with smartphones and laptops, and you've probably had them in your classroom. Do you think this is going to work? Mike, how old do you think I actually am? <laughs> the thing I, I is, don't know. I didn't, I didn't have this growing up either, actually. Um, we, we didn't have any laptops at all in my school. And um, we did have cell phones, but they, were, they weren't, like, you weren't allowed to use them in school. So essentially when I read this ban, I was just kind of like, I thought they were already banned to begin with. <laughs> so really in my head, it didn't, it didn't make a difference whether it gets banned or not. But one thing we have to be very clear in our language is that nothing has been even announced. It's um, something that the Canadian press has reported. Um, and there is a possible directive that will be released sometime next, next week. And we actually don't know if that's actually going to happen or not. But it's very possible that this is going to happen, mainly because this has been an election promise from the premier. Um, Doug Ford has been saying that this is something that he wants to establish, and so it wouldn't be a surprise if it actually does come out. So on that note, you know, it, it most likely will come out, but there are so many questions that I'm hearing around from people. You know, how will this ban take place? How will schools monitor it? How will students respond to it? Is it important? Do, do we need cell phones in a time where there are so many things that students need to learn and understand to use? So I think right now the problem is that there are way too many unknowns to really give a proper reaction. And that's coming even from analysts that I've been speaking with. And they've kind of said to me, you know, we're talking about it in our circles, but we don't know anything. We don't, we don't actually know what, what the ban's going to entail. Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I've been trying to read up on this and, you know, see what the motivation was behind it. And, you know, if they've done any studies, they, they said they did this one um, mm-hmm. consultation, the province did, and the ban was supported by 97% of the respondents. I don't mm-hmm. know who those respondents were. I can imagine it's not. Yeah. Ki- I can imagine it's not kids. It's probably old, middle-aged white people going, "Yeah, ban the ban the smartphone." So, I'm. Uh, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of articles from teachers as well. You know, some supporting it, and others saying there are useful tools in the classroom. Hmm. Mm, yeah, I agree. And you know, part of this CP article that also came out, it mentions that. The, the law, or rather the ban, will still allow individual boards and schools to be responsible for enforcing this ban, and teachers will have the ability to, you know, decide whether they want to use the phone or not, and also students with disabilities will be able to use the phone whether they, they choose to or not, and that phone can be used in terms of an emergency. So when you have all of these clauses, I don't really see how there's a ban that could take place, because the teacher or school board could essentially say, you know what, we don't want to do this ban. We're going to have the phones in classrooms. We're just going to do it. We don't care. So that's a question that I'm asking, like, how exactly is that ban going to 
take into effect if you're going to allow school boards and schools to be basically be able to control how this ban is going to take into effect. Um, in terms of that point that you made, in you know, on teachers, some teachers saying they like this idea, some teachers saying they don't. You know, I'm I can't sit here and say I want a ban or I don't want a ban because I didn't I never had cell phones in classrooms, but I just see the way young students or young young adults are growing and learning. And I think that that has changed considerably from when I was in high school or when I was in elementary school. And I think that there's so much more prevalent technology that's available and students can really learn and benefit with the use of cell phones. How that is possible, I think that is that is what the teacher or the school should enable or, or really restrict, you know, like making sure that the student doesn't get distracted versus using it for emergencies or using it to understand how to to communicate with others or how to send text messages and learn not to bully each other through those text messages. So I think, I think this is a very interesting, you know, proposed ban or proposed directive for a ban. I'm just curious to know how it's going to work out. And I, I'm very curious to know how students or rather teachers and school boards want to enforce this ban. I'm just wondering, shouldn't we just leave it to the teachers? I think teachers probably know best what's good for their classroom and their style of teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. if they want a ban or not. Uh, You know, do we need the government telling schools and teachers how how to run things? I, you know, I, I don't know. I think I, I would agree. I think, you know, teachers should have the prerogative and the, the role to decide whether or not a ban should take place, mainly because teachers do have different teaching styles and that's important. You know, your, your personality sort of comes out when you're teaching your students. And if that requires a cell phone or not, you know, that, that's, that should be their prerogative to make that decision. However, I, I feel like an outright ban is almost impossible, especially in today's day and age. I mean, literally, we're engulfed in so much technology. How do you not have something like that in a classroom? And again, I don't know to what capacity that cell phone is being used in the classroom, and for that matter, for for teaching purposes. But I think having an outright ban would be next to impossible. And I think the Toronto School District Board has actually said that as well, that this is you know, impossible. They tried doing it before and it didn't work out. So I, I think we have a lot of questions that we have. And, you know, we'll, we'll only find that out when the directive comes out and the government, the provincial government comes out and, and answers those questions. I'm wondering if it's more of a, pol- a political thing, if Doug Ford is just kind of pandering to his base. <laughs> I mean, isn't it always though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. What am I, I, mean, what like, am I thinking? He, <laughs> Anything he says is going to be a way for him to try and get reelected. If if he comes out with a statement that says, "Oh, ninety-seven percent of people have agreed that this is the right thing to do," and everyone sees that, they're going to be like, "Oh, yay, go Doug Ford! You're listening to the ninety-seven percent of people that have responded." But most people aren't going to ask, "Well, who are these people that responded to the consultations? Who are the people that are responding to these things?" You know, so. Uh, he definitely has a reason to to do this because it has been an election promise, and most leaders, as we know, are are the type of leaders who want to maintain those promises that they that they say. And he definitely wants to get reelected. So, I mean, of course, this is a political thing. I think that poll was taken at a Tim Hortons in Etobicoke. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I, I honestly, I can't comment to that, but <laughs> I'm very curious. I would like to know who are these these numbers. Where are these numbers coming from? Who are who exactly responded to this to this uh, consultation? So, yeah, I mean, um, again, Canadian Press has reported it. The Toronto School District Board has said it. It's there are just so many questions. Um, and when you don't have the answers to that, it's hard to, to make a decision. And, you know, I always, I, I, I hate when the government does something like this because it basically flares up conversations that aren't needed. You know, students might start freaking out. Parents will be like, what the heck? Uh, school teachers are like, I don't know how to teach my classroom without a cell phone. And the the reason why there's this flare-up is because there aren't any answers that are available. So why publish something or why why put something out there when you don't have the answers? And, um, you know, unnecessarily flaring up the people. And maybe that's that's what the, you know, Premier Ford's government wants to do. They want to, like, start doing this. But, you know, it would be good if we had some answers. We're talking with Shruti Shakar from MobileSyrup.com about the proposed uh, alleged uh, ban uh, coming to Ontario schools in the new school year, uh, ban of cell phones in the classroom. Uh, we'll have to wait and get more details on that to see if they can even make that happen. Shruti, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me, Mike. When we come back from the break, still a lot more apps to talk about. We'll do our Hot 5 and uh, a whole lot more. You're listening to the App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the App Show. We still have a lot more to talk about on today's program, uh, including uh, chatting about uh, what Facebook is doing about uh, getting rid of all the anti-vax information, or I guess the vaccine misinformation uh, that's out there. But uh, let's look at uh, a countdown. The Weekly App Hot 5. This week, the Hot 5 app countdown is all around spring cleaning uh, apps. Uh, Spring is in the air in some parts of Canada, maybe Vancouver more so than others. Uh, So we're just going to run with that. Uh, And uh, number five, Christina, we've got Clean House. Clean House is an app that's available for Android, and it does exactly what it says. It presents users with household chores that they can schedule at their leisure to keep their home clean. It has some basic scheduling and reminder features that are available with advertisements, or you can pay $4.99 to get rid of those. Number four on the Hot 5 Spring Cleaning App Countdown this week, we've got Clean My House. Clean My House. It's a chores to-do list. This is also available for Android. It is free. Uh, there is a $5 master unlock for all of the um, task list and premium features. So that's a one-time purchase. Now you can schedule all of your tasks into 300 separate categories. So in addition to keeping your house tidy, you can also keep your list tidy. We're heading down the uh, countdown list here for spring cleaning apps. We've got uh, number three, house cleaning list. And this one is for Android as well. Organize yourself clean with this app that allows you to create unlimited lists for specific occasions or for your typical cleaning routine. You can easily share and sync your responsibilities with roommates and family members with this one. And you do need an internet connection to sync all of this information if you're going to share that. I I know your family members will love having you share the responsibility with this app. Like my, I'm thinking my teenage kids, 
they would love this. Yeah. It, yes, I'm sure they'd be thrilled to Looking get forward <laughs> not, to a daily assigned task. Not. Yes, to getting that to-do list. <laughs> Number two, we've got routines, home routines, and this is for uh, iPhone users and iPad users. Uh, it's $4.99. Uh, got a good rating in the uh, iTunes App Store as well, 4.6 out of 5. This app recently underwent a big update. Users create checklists that reflect up to seven focus zones in their house, and they can schedule exactly when to complete each task, whether that's uh, daily, weekly, or biweekly, monthly, or I guess once a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can take advantage of the app's built-in timer to motivate yourself to get the job done. Uh, cool thing about this, you don't need an internet connection and there's also customizable tasks and deadlines and I do like the built-in timer to to get your your butt moving. Number one, uh, this is a very popular one, uh, Graham. Toady? Toady, as in Toady Up. Uh, So this is a great little app. It is $6.99 for iOS. It's super handy if you have family sharing turned on because you can actually buy the app once and share it across your entire family and it does sync across multiple devices. So this is a really cool app that will inspire you to scrub your toilet and mop the floor and perform all these other household tasks. The cool thing is it actually prioritizes tasks by need. Right? So you can assign a value of how much this is needed, and it will sort your tasks that way. Um, there are, again, uh, some timers built in, things like that. There are reminders built in, but there's a cool thing here where you can gamify this and assign points to tasks so that, as a family, you can kind of have a friendly competition in how to get things done. So that is Toady. MarthaStewart.com recommends it, and it's got a 4.8 out of 5 rating on the App Store. When we come back from the break, we'll uh, be st- seeing what Facebook is doing about all the misinformation about vaccines and what they're doing to combat it. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike, Graham, and Christina here. Before we uh, tackle the the whole Facebook story uh, about them uh, going after the anti-vaxxer misinformation campaigns, let's uh, get uh, an iPhone tip. iPhone tip of the week. Unleash the power of your iOS device. Graham, what do we got? So this tip, this tip is actually carrier dependence. You're going to call your carrier and see if this is involved in your plan. Uh, but it's Wi-Fi calling. Have you used this? I have to because in my house, I'm out in South Surrey here in BC, there is literally no cell phone reception. So, so with Wi-Fi calling, a whole new world has opened up. It's exactly this. Now, I have five bars of coverage in my condo. It's a lie. It's <laughs> right. I, I take a step down my hallway and that call will drop instantly. So what you can do is go to uh, system settings and go to cellular. Uh, if you do see Wi-Fi calling there, if it is part of your plan, all you do is tap on Wi-Fi calling, flip that switch to on. And when you are in a space with good Wi-Fi coverage, you'll actually get really great signal uh, that doesn't also use your cell minutes if you're on a plan that still uses minutes. So if someone dials your regular phone number, it goes through the Wi-Fi instead of, of the regular cell phone network. So if you're in a crappy cell phone coverage area, but there's great Wi-Fi, this is a godsend. Now, the one thing I would say is that if you are on public Wi-Fi, so you're at a Starbucks, something like that, turn Wi-Fi calling off if you're going to make a phone call, because typically the Wi-Fi there can't keep up, so you'll end up with a worse call. <laughs> it's good and bad. It's good and bad. I have it turned on all the time. It just, it works, especially in my house. Well, the one thing that I'm finding is I'm trying to do fewer and fewer regular calls and more FaceTime audio calls or direct VoIP calls through different chatting programs. Uh, The call quality is quite a bit higher. The call quality is quite compressed through the the regular cell network. If you turn on FaceTime audio with, if you're calling another iPhone, 
Phenomenal call quality. Try that out too. Oh, I no, I know you always call me with that. Right? I'm always thinking like, oh, he wants to video chat. Nah, I got to put pants on. <laughs> no, but it's just the audio, audio yep. which you can do, which is cool. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Facebook right now, and this is kind of a big thing. Facebook obviously getting battered from all sides because they're the scourge of society and civilization. Uh, they do have some good things. Mm-hmm. I. I I kind of like Facebook because it keeps me connected with friends and family that uh, I might not always have done. So like, so, you know, especially overseas or across the country, but there's so much misinformation that is spread through Facebook as well. And a big part of that would be uh, vaccine misinformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the anti-vax movement has been a little bit crazy. You know, we've been talking about it in the office and it's probably one of the most frustrating things Uh, here in Vancouver. We had a number of measles outbreaks. And this is specifically reflected on the fact that people aren't vaccinating their kids anymore. Um, You know, there was a single study that was put out by a doctor who has since been discredited. The study has been debunked and people have taken that and they've run with it. And there's lots of, you know, mitigation that's going on with this. People are saying, well, you know, I support vaccines, but I don't support the schedule or I prefer not to get. You know what, guys, this is about the survival of the species. Herd immunity is a thing. And so Facebook is now stepping in to do their part to stop the misinformation that's happening. Well, it's interesting because uh, they've done studies for a lot of these uh, parents that are kind of anti-vaxxers. And it's interesting, and Christina, you know this, most of these parents grew up in a time where they, they really had to get that vaccine. They didn't have a choice. So they've been vaccinated, but a lot of them are choosing not to vaccinate their kids. Yes, well, you, if you haven't seen polio or measles or whatever firsthand, then you might be a little more inclined to... Uh, to be swayed by all of this misinformation that tells you that it's no big deal. Yeah. And I mean, now that we're starting to see the resurgence in these diseases, I I think people, some people are coming around. Um, What's happening now with Facebook is they're actually uh, showing people when they have been exposed to information that is inaccurate. And then they're providing more accurate information as well. In addition to finding people who are spreading this misinformation and starting to remove their ability to, to share it. Now, I know, I know there's someone out there right now listening, going, well, that is censorship. You know what? Your First Amendment rights down in the States don't exist here. And your idea of free speech is reflective of the government. A private corporation doesn't have to give you the right to spread nonsense. And thankfully, when that nonsense is going to damage people around you, they have every right and an obligation to stop you from spreading that information. Well, you know, I I know Facebook's doing its best to try to Uh, reduce this amount of misinformation. So what they're doing, they said, uh, is that they're going to reduce the ranking of groups and pages that spread misinformation about vaccinations in the news feed and search, meaning they won't pop up as often or as prominently as they do now. They also won't be included in recommendations. Why not just get rid of them? Yes, exactly. Why not ban those pages from existing, especially ones that they thinly veil what they're actually what their content is actually about. There's this National Vaccine Informa- Information Center. That sounds like a legitimate resource to everyone here, right? But they're actually spreading misinformation about vaccine injury. So, yeah, Graham, why why don't they just ban it? Ban, ban it. it. I think we all know the answer to that, and it is money, right? 
all of these page views, all of this traffic makes Facebook more valuable to advertisers. And these people are buying ads. And they are creating more information around which Facebook can start to dig deeper into your life. Now, we've seen Facebook over the course of the last year or so start to put uh, warnings on sites that uh, you know frequently publish information that's not factual. Um, they've also let people know when they've been exposed to something that has been published by, for example, Russian bots, stuff like that. Um, this is almost death by degrees with us. We really need, we've been turning up the heat on Facebook, trying to get them to be more and more responsible as a corporation. This is one more step, and you guys are absolutely right. They do need to be banned. We well, need to take that step. Okay, you talked about the advertising dollars. Facebook is saying they're going to target advertisers that are trying to promote paid anti-vaccination content on Facebook. They say that if they find ads that include in, in misinformation about vaccinations, they will reject them. They will. And again, they're trying to get people to change their approach so that it is more acceptable to everyone. But really, and the long and the short of it is, with a lot of these content creators, it's time for them to go. They are actively putting people at risk. You mentioned the term vaccine injury, which is a, it's a big one that they're trying to pop out right now. You know, there are some people out there who are, they have biological systems that are incompatible with vaccines. The number is infinitesimally small. And a lot of these people have been coming forward saying, you need to go get vaccinated because I can't. And when we don't have herd immunity, all those people out there who are vaccinated are safe and I'm not. So we need to be able to protect the most vulnerable in society who can't get vaccinations. You're off your uh, soapbox there now, Greg? You know what? I think at the end of the day, though, we have to take... Facebook is responsible, but we also have to take some responsibility. Stop getting your news from Facebook, for God's sake. <laughs> it's not our know, news but, source. Uh, but I get a lot of news from Facebook, but I'm, I'm um, kind of subscribing to... You know, like CKNW here and Global News, like reputable news sources. But um, I don't think people always qualify the news sources that uh, that they're getting information from. Yes, it's from. called critical thinking, and it seems to be missing these days. No, but we do have to take responsibility for some of the bad information that we are choosing to accept as reality. I know, but we're a lot of people are choosing news sources that reflect their own values and opinions about things. I mean, that's why we have such polarized news outlets like CNN versus Fox News. Like, it's like almost polar opposites there. So, um, you know, Facebook is going to have a hard time uh, trying to figure out what is good or bad, you know, what is misinformation and what's not. I mean, this vaccination thing right now is is obviously a very important topic and uh, obviously they're tackling that but there's probably a thousand other topics uh, that they need to go after as well and and here's the thing the vaccine one's fairly easy right you know people say and this is kind of where we do see a bit of a false dichotomy you know report both sides there isn't a both sides to this one right there is a doctor who falsified his report and has been discredited there aren't both sides. So this is actually relatively easy for Facebook. The challenge is when we get into things where there are shades of gray or there are interpretations or there is spin. This is a great dry run for Facebook, right? Go out there. There is truth and there are lies. Deal with the lies. The rest of the stuff I don't envy them having to deal with because that is going to be hard. Well, we'll uh, end it on that. And I don't know if this is a good time for it, but here's our Facebook tip of the week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Our Facebook tip of the week is don't get your news from Facebook. Uh, no, if you use Facebook, or even if you don't use Facebook, uh, Messenger is actually a fairly popular uh, option for communicating with each other. Yes. And so typically you meet someone and they're like, hey, you know what? Add me on Messenger so that we can chat at some point. You're like, great, here. You, they hand you the phone and you type and you, you find out, I'm a, I'm a Graham Williams. There are dozens of us around the world. And when you type that in, I usually show up at the top because it's location specific, but you could have trouble picking out who that person is. There's actually a much easier way to add someone on Messenger. If you open up your phone and they open up their phone, when you go to Messenger, tap on your profile icon, and you'll see your picture surrounded by a number of blue lines and circles. All you have to do on the other phone is tap on the same thing and click scan code, and they can put their camera over the top of your picture, and it will instantly add you on Messenger. Love it. I didn't know that. No extra steps required. It's basically a circular QR code that surrounds your picture. Now, you can even take this image and share it so you can send it you know, via text message or, you know, via messenger or via email so that other people can scan it in other places as well. Super handy. That's a great Facebook tip. Thank you. When we come back from the break, we've got a few more apps to talk about, including our travel and game app of the week. You're listening to the app show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with The App Show. Mike Graham and Christina here. We've got a little bit of time left. Before we get to our travel tip of the week, as always, Graham, you've got a game app for us. I do. And so Game of Thrones on its way back. You excited for the last season? I am super excited. I love that show, and I'm sad to see it go. Well, you know what? I mean, the one thing is, the one constant, in Game of Thrones, everything dies, including the show itself. Yes. Well, we'll have have a moment. But I've got a great game for you, and that is a game called uh, Reigns Game of Thrones. Okay. So Reigns is actually this really fun game that uh, it's basically almost like a a version of Tinder. You are the uh, king or queen of a kingdom. People bring their, uh, you know, appeals and complaints to you, and you can either swipe right or swipe left to either approve. (laughs) This is what Cersei, Queen Cersei does Pretty much, yes. So uh, so there is a Game of Thrones version of this, uh, and it has just been updated in honor of the final season. Um, it is currently 25% off, which is great. It's on for $5.49. It's got all of this really fun Game of Thrones content where, again, you can swipe light, right, swipe left. Uh, kind of like Tinder. Yeah. And if you want to end the, uh, the, the, the threat of someone, you can actually rip their card in half. But what consequences might that have? Who knows? So this is Reigns uh, Game of Thrones. It's available for iOS. It's available for, uh, for Android as well. And apparently it is quite fun. It's got a 4.8 out of 5 rating on uh, the App Store. Well, up next, it's our travel app of the week. Christina, what do we got? We have an app to help you learn a new language. Uh, If you're traveling for an extended period of time or if you're just interested in learning a foreign language, there is the Rosetta Stone app. This, uh, of course, you've heard of Rosetta Stone. Um, They used to sell those uh, those courses on TV. Yeah, then. get the DVDs or tapes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So Rosetta Stone now has an app, and it was actually named 2018 um, Best Educational App by the Mobile App Awards. And this app lets you learn things immersively, and it also has this really great feature called True Accent, which helps you improve your pronunciation with, uh, with advanced speech re- recognition technology. That's cool because um, I was over in Spain uh, about a week and a half ago, and I, you know, 
not as many people speak English over there as I <laughs> as I was hoping. I got by, but you know, I th- I thought next time I go somewhere, uh, you know, that's got a different language, I'm going to actually try to learn some of the phrases. So this this sounds like a fantastic app for that. Exactly. And the great thing about this is that it does give you more of an immersive experience rather than um, a lot of the other language apps that you're used to, like Duolingo, which rely on, um, on you know, memorization and repetition and all of that. Now, now that said, Rosetta Stone is a little bit more expensive, but the quality does seem to be there. Yes, it's definitely more expensive. The courses range from $180 to $280, depending on the language you're learning. But they do give you a three-day free trial, so you can test it out and see if you think it's worth it. That's all the time we have left for the app show. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.